From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and joining me for this episode is Bill Roth. Bill was the longtime voice of Virginia Tech football and still broadcasts college football for ESPN and some college basketball for CBS Sports. Bill is back at Virginia Tech helping to uh, shepherd its fledgling sports media program and is professor for its Introduction to Sports Media course. And uh, Bill is yet another uh, member of the Syracuse alumni slash mafia on Twitter. Bill, welcome to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Well, thank you, Robert. I'm excited to visit with you today. I'm glad to have you. So uh, you graduated from Syracuse in 1987 and wound up being the voice of Virginia Tech football uh, starting in 1988. And that relationship continues 30 years later with a, an impressive uh, 27 years consecutively uh, broadcasting the games. How'd that happen? Well, I was just nine months out of college when I first came down to Virginia. I was just 22 and fell in love with the state and the people in Virginia. And looking back at it, the vision that a second-year head coach had for his football program, of course, that coach was Frank Beamer, who hadn't experienced much success at all at that point, but it was clear that he had all the pieces in place to build a real powerhouse. And secondly, you know, back in the late 1980s, radio and radio networks, at least here, were were the main communications link uh, between this team and what is a really passionate fan base, this legion of fans. And and few games were on TV back then. This was before Virginia Tech was in the ACC, so television opportunities for at least live game broadcasts were somewhat limited. So at that point, we were able to build a really strong radio operation, and not only the game broadcasts, but ancillary programming and some weekly television programs. And that all grew throughout the years. Uh, given the way the world has changed in the last 30 years, and, uh, you know, how much has the degree of difficulty for finding that kind of gig right after college and uh, keeping it for decades uh, changed uh, to pull something like that off for, for the, you know, the kids that are coming out of school these days? Like, is, is it a lot harder now? Do those opportunities still exist? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, for sure. If you think the broadcast world has changed in the last 30 years, I feel like our business has changed in the last 30 minutes, uh, <laughs> to, to be honest. It's, yeah, we didn't, uh, you know, we, didn't talk about, we didn't talk about Michigan bailing on the uh, Virginia Tech football games yet. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, obviously, it's going to be really hard for a kid who's going to graduate from college or next month to land a Power 5 play-by-play job in the fall. Uh, right. That, that's probably unrealistic in today's landscape. But at the same time, it's probably easier right now to get on the air, get published as a, as a college senior or someone who's going to graduate in May, because a kid can start his own blog or her own blog. Uh, you can start your own podcast and you can get your name out there and create content today, probably easier than ever before. The issue is monetizing it because monetizing it is harder than ever, especially for a college kid who's getting ready to graduate here in the spring of 18, because getting a full-time job right out of college is a challenge for a lot of people in a lot of majors, whether you have a a law degree or a business degree or communications degree. We talk about this in class a lot. We've kind of walked through how many people today are freelancing in their business, uh, whether it's in front of a camera or behind the camera, especially to start, especially to get into it. I, I, Robert, I joke with them that learning the AP style book is important, and it's really huge to get comfortable reading a teleprompter and 
creating an on-camera presence, those things that we've always talked about in class. But right now, understanding techniques to navigate a new world media landscape is just as critical. And so it, it, it's hard. We, we tell them to be multi-skilled and be versatile, that if you're a broadcaster, you need to learn Photoshop. And if you're a writer, you need to learn how to edit video. Right. Because really what they are are sports multimedia journalists. And the more tools they have in their toolbox, the better. So that's kind of what we're trying to get across to these kids, especially those who are going to graduate here in May. Right. So, uh, you, you know, you, you uh, left Virginia Tech briefly uh, to become the play-by-play man for uh, UCLA Bruins football in the 2015-16 season. How did that come about, and uh, what are your thoughts on that experience? Well, it was certainly a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, both personally and professionally, getting to call games at the Rose Bowl and at Poly yep. Pavilion. And, the, you know, I should say this, the people there are great. They're really exceptional. It's a amazing global city and obviously a world-class school and it's the winningest program in sports. Uh, yeah, you know, I've said this before, Robert, it's the best job in the country, uh, but it wasn't the best job for me, at least not where I see myself right now and what's important to me in my life right now. And it just took a move to LA for me to, to learn that. I don't regret making the move to LA and, you know, I understand that I broke up with the prettiest girl in school, <laughs> if you know what I mean. But, I do. But but for a variety of reasons, it wasn't the right fit. But I'm proud to have been associated with the program. I stay in touch with the folks at UCLA, and I pull for them, that's for sure. So uh, what has the, you know, now, now you are, you're back at Virginia Tech, but you are, you are still, uh, now you're doing some national games, both, uh, both for ESPN and some for CBS Sports Network. What is the transition from doing uh, games for one team uh, to doing nationally televised broadcasts been like for you? Well, the ESPN people have been great to me, and I've gotten to work with some really tremendous producers and analysts. You know, these are some of the top people in the business, and so it's been wonderful to work with them and to learn from them. And I like the teamwork and collaboration of television, whether it's, oh, working with the graphics guy throughout the week to build visuals and working with the various producers and analysts as you, as you build up to, to a big game on Saturday, and to create packages and ideas that, that we'll use during the course of a telecast. And there's so many people involved in putting a televised football game on the air. So I've really enjoyed working as part of a larger team and meeting a lot of other coaches throughout the country and looking at the sport basketball too, from more of a neutral and national perspective has been a real blast for me. So I'm having so much fun doing television and it's more fun than I ever expected it would be. That's awesome. So uh, you, you've got a broadcasting career now that uh, spans 30 years. Do you have a, uh, a single most memorable broadcasting experience? Wow. Well, there have been a lot, and that's a lot of games. That's a lot of pre- and post-game shows, too. I, yep. You know, looking back, calling so many great games down at the Orange Bowl and in football and up at Madison Square Garden in New York, those are probably my two all-time favorite places to do games. Uh Again, to call a national championship game uh, at the Sugar Bowl, yep. all those big bowl games. Um, so Michael Vick moments stand out. There were a few basketball wins at Duke and North Carolina uh, when I was at Virginia Tech. And I called a UCLA win over number one Kentucky in basketball at Poly Pavilion, which was historic at the time. But, you know, I'm sure you've heard this before. It's lifelong friendships and relationships that really stand out if you're at a place. And, 
whether it's with you know coaches or players or fans even those would stand out but if i had to pick two plays you know back in 2003 miami had won 31 straight football games virginia tech beat them and there was a big play at the end of the first quarter of that game when d'angelo hall had a strip and score from miami's rossville parish and it was just a loud intense night that was a big play and right Two years ago, Tyrod Taylor threw a last-second touchdown pass to beat Nebraska uh, at the end of the game. And, and, you know, like every announcer, you want to build the drama, nail the call, capture the moment, convey the excitement. So those two plays stand out. Yeah. Yep. Those uh, you, you've uh, you've been fortunate to uh, to call a lot of great games. So, what's it like like to just be part of a, a community like the Virginia Tech community? Uh, for you know, for three decades now, had a lot more hair back at the start. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, it's been neat. You know, it's it's a special place. Spent a lot of time here. There was a lot of success on the field and in, in sports. And the university has grown dramatically. And there've been a lot of really good things. And, and you asked about the community. So we've had this horrific tragedy you know the worst mass shooting in u.s history was here and you know in a way the people who live here in this community whether it's students or residents faculty or staff whatever it happens to be the community is tight and close because of the cumulative effect of all those things right and that's probably true in any town but maybe even more so in, in blacksburg which is kind of this quintessential college town uh people here kind of have your back and they're a supportive culture here if they're progressive they're intelligent so it's a neat place yeah yeah blacksburg is it's beautiful as well so uh we i i brought this up briefly a little bit earlier but uh michigan i think was supposed to play a, a home and away series maybe with virginia tech and i think it was going to be 2019 and 2020 maybe it was 2020 and 2021 uh they have now bailed out on that and I, I'm I'm just wondering, like, from your perspective, both both uh, you know, both from the the broadcasting side and and uh, you know, now from your uh, from your sports media professor side, uh, how do you spin that? Well, I don't know all the business details of it. You know, they do these schedules years in advance, and I think that schedule was that game was scheduled, that series was scheduled in 2013 or 14. Yeah. You know, there's been conference expansion since then, and, and other things have popped up. And, you know, I've not talked with the coaches here or there, so so I don't know the logistics of it. I do know that Virginia Tech was already going to play Florida State Notre Dame that year, and I don't know that they're that upset that that game <laughs> got canceled. And, 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 and looking at Michigan's schedule, I know they dropped Virginia Tech, and I think they picked up Arkansas State. Yep, Arkansas so, State. Yep. You know, Be better, better for their maybe schedule, they just too. Yeah, I mean, I think, you, you, you know, there's that, there's that delicate balance, and we're all trying to figure out, you know, as fans and as the media, we want all these great regular season games. But as coaches and administrators, you want to get to the college football playoff, and you don't want to overschedule yourself in your non-conference games. There, there's got to be a, a happy balance. You know, Alabama kind of has the, has the recipe done. You, you recruit great players, and I don't know that Alabama has played a non-conference road game in a decade. Now, they'll play some neutral site games, and by neutral, I mean Atlanta. <laughs> you know, they're, right. not, they're not playing USC on the road, where, right. you know, where, whereas Notre Dame is. Right. And, and, and whereas 
I, I think that you could you could overschedule yourself. If you play three mega non-conference games of football every year, even if you have a good team and and don't run the table in your conference, the way things are looking, it's going to be hard to get into the playoff yep. if you've got more than two, two losses. And at least the way it is right now with a 14 playoff. And, and, and so this is a really long answer to your question. I, I think it's a really delicate balance. If, if eight teams made the playoffs, I think it would help non-conference games. That you could lose a third game. Yep. Uh, but, but, but right now, I don't know that anybody could, could, could go nine and three or even 10 and three and, and crack the top four. Yeah. So uh, transitioning from broadcasting to academics, uh, you know, talk about Virginia Tech's academic program, uh, you know, that has a concentration on sports media and analytics and uh, how that came about and how you got involved with it. Well, initially, we started a sports journalism class five years ago and it kind of took off. We've had great speakers and activities for the kids, both in the classroom and really a bunch of extracurricular activities, calling games on TV and, and and radio and online and that kind of thing. And Virginia Tech asked me to come back and really start this as a full academic program. And the thought was you can be in the classroom during the week as a professor of practice and then be on the air on weekends. And it's worked out really well. And it's been a learning experience for me. I assure you, Robert, I am not an academician. Uh, I, I barely <laughs> made classes as a college kid at Syracuse. Okay. <laughs> Don't let the Dean know that. But what, what they've done here at Virginia Tech is kind of similar what Northwestern has done, what J.A. Adonde and Syracuse has done it now with Olivia Stomsky. And it's happening at other places, too. You know, Paula Bovin is now at Arizona State. Yep. And, and, and the concept is you hire people who are still in the business, still on the air, working professionals that are still doing it, and then put them in the classroom so kids can work hand-in-hand with someone who's still in the business. And it's really neat. It's certainly a different academic model that – this handful of schools is doing. Um, they've given me great latitude to design classes and assignments that are more real world in nature. There's no textbook for any of this. It's, it's more grab a tripod, a camera and a light kit, put together a story. We launched a play by play class this semester. Uh, anything that's done in the class is more theory in nature in terms of the business side of things. So how do sports television ratings work, for example, and, and what are, this growing rights the model in sports. How are these networks recouping it? How is cord cutting affecting the sports industry specifically and the sports media business specifically? So we spend a lot of time in the classroom on that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how many, uh, how many are currently in the program and, and uh, where do you see that going say in the next couple of years? I don't know. Uh, Currently we have about 120 and some of these kids are the way uh, the first few years of this, some of these kids are, for example, business majors that, that want to learn the sports side of things. Uh, I, I think a good number for us would be right at about 150. Right. And that, 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 that's a lot of cameras and tripods and lights to have coming in and out all the time. Yep. And uh, I'm excited about it. There are a lot of opportunities here at Virginia Tech. The ACC network is launching in the fall of 19. And, it's going to create a lot of opportunities for kids, not only in front of the camera, but behind it as well. Uh, there's a lot of women's soccer and lacrosse and wrestling and volleyball yeah. games, matches that, that the ACC network is going to produce. And uh, 
not all of the announcements will be students, but, but I think there's an opportunity clearly behind the scenes for a lot of kids to, to really get real-world experience. And, and that's going to be the case at all 15 ACC schools. And, and I think what we're trying to do is to kind of get ahead of that and, and marry it to our academic program. And SU Syracuse is doing the same thing. Right. So that we can really give some great opportunities for kids. So if you're a high school guidance by listening to that, I certainly encourage you to, to log on to the Virginia Tech website and learn about our wonderful admissions and financial aid packages. There you go. So uh, you, you, you've said that... Uh, Thank you for the commercial. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, anytime. So uh, we'll continue on in that theme. You said that uh, you want Virginia Tech to become the Quinnipiac of the Final Four. And uh, for my listeners who are younger than me and you, uh, and I think that's got to be all of them, what do you mean? Yeah, that's the PR and the university relations folks doing their job. Um, <laughs> we're, we're lucky at Virginia Tech. We've got a couple of alums who are real leaders in sports data analytics. Ken Massey, whose ratings were used in the BCS standings for all those years, and yep. they're using them now, College Football Playoff Committee, and Ken Pomeroy, who's a basketball analytics and rankings guru. His numbers are really highly respected. Both Massey and Pomeroy are Virginia Tech graduates, and We've got a bunch of smart kids here at Tech who are totally into numbers and data and such like that. So instead of predicting presidential elections, I have them project the NCAA tournament results. And we've done that for the last couple of years. And they did a good job again this year, but they, they totally blew it with Loyola Chicago. They, uh, they didn't include the nun factor in yeah. any of their projections for this tournament. But did, did, it, did, it's been did, really neat. To, did they get UMBC well, right? Did they, did they pick that? No, in fact, uh, uh, they had Virginia going pretty far as the number one overall seed. So that must have hurt. They did not predict that one. No. So, so not un, not unhappy about being wrong in this case, probably. No, no, it, it was a really interesting tournament, and and more so than the clearly picking something that is so random. These games that are best of one is tough to do, but what we're trying to do is get them to really study analytics, and so that when they when they look at the NCA team sheets. Everybody does 105 kids in that class. Each one of them had all 350 pages of the NCA team sheets. So they they understand quadrant one, quadrant two, quadrant three, quadrant four. They understand really how teams schedule and why a, a team with 28 wins may be seated lower than a team with 17 wins. And and they kind of understand how it works. And so I'm happy about that. Some of them will get jobs doing this, and uh, it, it's a it's a numbers. Uh, there are plenty of number driven jobs out there, and right? So if we can get them into the analytics aspect of this, whether it's in sports or, or full time or, or just on the side, it's a good thing for them. So, uh, how many semesters have have you uh, have you been doing your your intro to sports media course so far? This is the sixth. And uh, what's what's been your biggest surprise? What's been you know the the thing that like you the, out of anything you just didn't expect, but you kind of dig? Well, I think the the makeup of kids that are eighteen to twenty two today is <laughs> if you've got a parent of a teenager, you know this. It, it's different. You there's, there's the phones are are huge. How you keep their attention is huge. But at the same time, they're really smart, and, and, and they do work hard if, if you motivate them 
I think it's probably the same. I feel like more of a coach at times than a, than a instructor only because you, you got to clap your hands and go, yo, 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 let's go. Let's get going. And this, this past fall, I talked with in, in these calls during the course of the week with some of these football coaches, you kind of hear the same thing. Uh, so several college football coaches have shortened practice. Let's just go harder for 45 minutes. And as soon as we get done with our work, we're done for the day. And, and I've kind of done that in some of these classes. We're supposed to be here for an hour and a half. If you guys really bust your fannies for the first 45 minutes, we're done. And they, they're, they're good with that. And I'm good with that. So it, it's been really interesting to kind of learn how to push their buttons, which I think is, that's what I'm saying, that it's more like being a coach right. than, than it is a, a stodgy, stodgy uh sport coat wearing college professor with a bow tie because <laughs> I'm more likely to show up in jeans and a hoodie. I assure you that. Too. I'm, I'm, I'm no lie. I'm wearing jeans and a hoodie right now. So, uh, you're, you're, you're dressing after, uh, in my, uh, in my style. So what, what do you think is the, uh, you've been doing this a few years now. What's the biggest change in the sports media landscape in the, uh, in the three years that you've been doing intro to sports media? There are a lot of people scared to death about getting jobs, and there are a lot of people who have jobs that are scared to death of keeping them. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, I think, you know, we're trying to figure out it doesn't do any good to graduate a kid who's unemployable. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to figure out the best way to, to get them a skill set and a very toolbox so they can get a great job. And clearly, some of the best journalists, some of the best announcers, some of the best writers in this country have lost their jobs in the last 18 months. And now you see how they're resurfacing, whether it's at the athletic or whether it's with a a team, whether it's with a conference, similar to what say Andy Katz has done with the, with the NCAA. So we're, we're, we're keeping an eye on that because how we as fans consume media is clearly changing and technology is advancing and the business model to this point hasn't kept up with it. But maybe the athletic is the future. I, I'm a subscriber to that. I love it. It's fun to, to watch. I'm curious to see what happens with ACC Network as it launches. But I think we're all struggling to figure out what, what's next and, and, and how to monetize this, whether we are a, a kid who's graduating here in the spring, whether we're someone running the Pac-12 Network trying to figure out how we're going to stay in the game uh, with, with the other Power 5 conferences or, or – whether we're announcers wondering, are we going to be on Facebook? <laughs> are we going to be on some OTT service to someone's phone? How are we going to do games? So it's a really interesting time. Yeah. So, so do you have any sense like of the uh, 100, 120 people or so that are, that are in the program? Like what's, what's their mix of, uh, you know, sort of just high level percentages, like how many want to be the next Ken Palm? How many want to be the, the next uh, Mike Tirico? How many want to be the, you know, the next great behind the scenes producer? Do you, do you have any feel for that? Yeah, it's a mix. Uh, a lot of both. A lot of both. They're, they're, I, w- I will say that they're more into life balance than I thought they would be. So a lot of them are uh, on spring break. A good group of them uh, went on missions some to Haiti, wow. uh, another group to the Dominican Republic. So we've got a really cool group of, of people here, students here who are really good people. And after being around now 
three years back here, uh, six semesters back here. I'm really proud of and hopeful of, and confident of where our country is going to be. These are really good kids, and and they're really smart, and they're not lazy. They just get work done in a different way, and uh, I feel really comfortable every day walking in and out of the classroom. That's been fun too. Yeah, that's it, that's... it's been fun to be around. Yeah, you know what? That uh, that sounds like a really awesome aspect of uh, of it, especially uh, in in this particular uh, point in time. So it's it's been you know the program's been uh, you know, been growing, I guess, for for three years. Uh, what what have been the biggest challenges so far for for not just you but for Virginia Tech in general in uh, in launching and uh, growing this new curriculum? Well, it's been really good to work with some people at other schools to kind of help us out. So Jay at Northwestern and I, we, we've created a bunch of emails. The folks at Syracuse have been great. We all trade notes and talk about what we're doing. We're all committed, whether it's Newhouse or McDill or any J school in the country. Right. You know, we're committed to helping develop great journalists for kids who have the passion and the drive. And each of those schools has things that can offer a kid. And we've got a lot of great opportunities for young men and women here at Virginia Tech, too. Our challenge is to get them on campus, to see the place, to see this brand new television studio that is just immaculate, and, and meet the people, because that's what it's all about. Uh, the people who are committed to helping them get there. And we're taking the best of the Syracuse model at Newhouse, the, the, the Dill model at Northwestern, and we're adding the best of Virginia Tech and coming up with something really special. Yeah, I've, I've told you this before offline. Uh, a big part of me thinks, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe that wouldn't be a bad way for me to go spend a few years and go go through your curriculum. Come, come on back. We've got we've got we've got good people and sweet tea here. <laughs> so uh, so I, I, I know you are uh, you are uh, a Syracuse alum and you're good friends with Mike Tirico and uh and uh, I know you'll try to tell him, but he won't. He won't listen to this podcast anyway. So you can give me your best Mike Tirico story without any fear that he's going to ever give you a hard time about telling me. Oh, don't worry. He'll, he he would hear it <laughs> or hear about it. Here's what everyone needs to know about Mike. You know, he's he's the best sportscaster slash host of our generation. He showed that again at the Olympics, and. But what you probably may not know is he is the kindest, most genuine guy on the planet. He takes time to know his crew. You know, he would take his Thursday night crew, the camera operators, the tech people, audio, all behind-the-scenes people. He'd take them bowling every week. He'd come into a town. It didn't matter if it was Starkville, Mississippi, or Blacksburg, or L.A. We're going bowling. And he's the ultimate team guy, and everyone likes Mike, okay, from the booth to the truck to everyone watching at home. He's just such a caring giving and fun guy. And I think that comes across on the air and he cares about students and, and, and that's kind of the Syracuse thing. That's what we do. We give back and he continues to do that. So I, I, I'm sure all of that is true, but that is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a crazy Mike Tirico story from the 1980s. Do, do you have one? You know, our, uh, his first ever football game, the first time Mike ever did a game was right here in Blacksburg, Virginia at Virginia Tech. And I Mike and I were that. students at Syracuse. Yeah, Mike and I were students at Syracuse, broadcasting for legendary campus station WAER. And Mike and I called the game from Lane Stadium, and it was Virginia Tech and Syracuse, and it was 1985. We both had full heads of hair. <laughs> we both had full heads of hair at that point. And and I, 
it was very expensive to get from Syracuse to, to, to fly down here. So the, the, the athletics department up there, Jay Krauthammer was the athletic director. He said, uh, would you, I'll let you guys on the plane for our games, but we need, I need you to do stats for women's basketball for our, at the games, courtside stats. So sure. Uh, that sounds like a good deal. So, so we get all these free flights for the year. And all we got to do is go to the women's basketball games. Well, as, the, as the season is going on, the women's basketball season, Mike keeps wanting to go do stats for the women's teams. This was out at Manly Fieldhouse. They don't play there anymore. The women at Syracuse play the games at the Dome. But Mike was always, I want to go do stats. I want to go do stats. Why? Well, as it turned out, Mike thought one of the players was really cute. <laughs> and uh, her name was Debbie Gibberets. And... She was a cute little guard, and Mike had a crush on her. Well, today, that is Debbie Tarico. <laughs> they got married, and, and they've got a wonderful, beautiful family and, and live up in Ann Arbor. And the, uh, the, the end of the story is, is beautiful, obviously, because Mike's kids are great. And it all started because of doing stats for women's basketball. So... That's a story that a lot of people probably don't know. Yeah, that is that is kind of a crazy story. So uh, I'll get you out of here on this. So uh, I know I know just just from knowing you a little bit online that uh, you are big into sports media. And in addition to you know being a, a big time broadcaster, you're just kind of a you know run of the mill sports media nerd. You like all the topics, carriage fees, cord cutting, all that. Uh, what is the, the the topic for you right now that is in the in the sports media landscape? that is most interesting to you that, uh, you know, every time you see a headline about it, you make sure to click on it. Well, locally and regionally for me, it is ACC network. Where, where is this going? Where is this linear network going to land? What, how, how is the carriage fee going to work for this? And how is this league going to pull this off? How is ESPN going to pull this off? And, and, and I think, if you're at the Pac-12 office, you're looking at that very closely too. Yep. Yep. It, it, it's a it's a it's a very odd time to get into it, but their projections are, are for staggering financial numbers here starting next year in the fall of nineteen. So so from a from a local standpoint and, and a collegiate athletic standpoint, that's what I'm looking at. Yep. Overall, I, I, I'm all about these OTT services are really neat, and you know. Uh, how we watch games. I watched a lot of these NCAA tournament games this past three weeks, and, and but I didn't watch a lot of them sitting at, ho- at my house on the couch. Right. I was out a bunch. I was traveling a bunch. I was watching them on my laptop at the office uh, several times at a, at a restaurant, and and, that, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm exactly the this is this is what people are doing now. I'm watching on my phone. I'm watching yeah. on my iPad Pro the NCAA tournament yep. for free. And, and, and so I see my behavior changing and that's kind of reflective in our country. Yep. For sure. Those are uh, both, both very interesting to watch. Bill, thanks very much for joining the podcast. I'll have you back on uh, down the road to see uh, how things are going at Virginia tech. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate it so much for the hospitality. Thanks again to Bill Roth for joining the podcast. You can find Bill on Twitter via at Bill Roth. That's B-I-L-L-R-O-T-H underscore. 
And I'll link to his bio in the podcast description. And uh, you can find all the past podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, RSS, and SportsTVRatings.com. Thanks for listening.